may be seated. This is actually the third sermon in a series, a series delivered over time. The first two sermons I actually preached last year. They were called Live in Hope and Live in Peace, and today's sermon is Live in Love. Now, when you get up in the morning and turn on the radio, the TV, your computer, or read the paper, what do you see and hear? News reports of everything that has gone wrong and is going wrong in the world. News is usually bad news. You have to search out any good news. It isn't found on the front page. We don't hear reports, do we, or see images of how the world is living in love. We hear about wars, terrorism, tensions between nations and ethnic groups, people fleeing for their lives. People all around the world want to be able to live in love, not hate. But what do we mean by love? It's such an overused and misused word in our culture today. We love everything from our favorite ice cream to newborn puppies to the latest car we've purchased. We live in a sex-saturated society, and yet our world is starving for love. The real, deep, life-giving, lifelong, lasting kind of love. We need to learn to live in love because it doesn't come naturally. It's easy to fall in love. It's just as easy to fall out of love. It's much, much harder to live in love. We have to make a conscious choice to do that. So how do we do it? How do we live in love? Where do we start? The only place to start is with God, who is love. God is the only one who can give us this life-changing love. But we have to believe it and receive and accept God's great love for us. Then in gratitude, we can love God in return. We've already heard this quoted today. God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us so much that he was willing to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die instead of us. But many people don't know how much God loves them. I wrote this while I was in Guatemala on our mission team a few weeks ago. Waiting. God is waiting. He's waiting for you. God is waiting. He's waiting for me. God's waiting with his arms outstretched, waiting with a heart of love. God's waiting for us to come to him. He's waiting to embrace and hug. God longs for you to come to him. He's patient and he's kind. He's never in a hurry. He's waiting, waiting, waiting. How long will you keep him waiting? Would you do that to a friend? See God patiently standing, waiting. His great love will never end. 
God is waiting for you to respond. He's waiting for you to come to him. Can't you see him patiently waiting? He loves you so much. Why don't you run to him? Let God hold you. Feel his warm embrace. Let God love you. Receive his astounding grace. Let God help you. He has everything you need. Let God change you and you will be free. When we really believe that God loves us, warts and all, we can then begin to love and accept ourselves. Remember that in scripture we're commanded, love your neighbor as yourself. But when you've messed up and you're down on yourself, how easy is it for you to love yourself, let alone someone else? It's very difficult. But as God's love soaks more and more deeply into our hearts, we're able to accept and love ourselves, and then we can love other people too. We love because God first loved us. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Eugene Peterson in the message puts it this way. I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. Think how different our lives would be if we did make ourselves at home in his love, if we were immersed in God's love. Most of us need to experience God with skin on. That is, we need to feel God's love expressed to us through other people. So let God love you through others. I found that trying to stop comparing myself with others helps me to accept myself. I recently saw a bumper sticker which said, there's no alternative to being yourself. (laughs) But if we're playing the comparison game, there are endless opportunities to do so, aren't there? Whether it's at school, at work, at the gym, even at church. God doesn't want you to be anyone else but yourself. So put your energy into figuring out who God created you to be, how he's wired and gifted you, and what he wants you to do in the world for him. Then you won't have any time to be feeling better or worse than someone else. Did you notice how much of the scripture passage is about how we speak to each other? It talks about anger, slander, speaking the truth, forgiveness. Our words are to be used to help, not harm. Listen again from the message. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word a gift. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does 
is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. My tongue has caused me trouble many times. Our encouragement, affirmation, and forgiveness spoken in your home, or sarcasm, criticism, and judgment. Our words are to build up and give grace to those who hear. But have you noticed the different ways we prefer to communicate, and it's often related to our age and personality? A friend shared this with me this week. The first way is face-to-face. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. The first is face-to-face. It's relational but time-consuming. Telling the other person that the relationship is as valuable as the task at hand. The second way would be written. That would be snail mail. It provides privacy and allows the other to process on their own time. Then there's by phone. It respects the other's time and privacy, but still maintains personal contact via voice. It feels personal without taking too much time. And then there would be email or text messaging. There is no personal interaction, but understanding that the other is multitasking and needs to get to the brass tacks of the message. Understanding these differences can make our communication much more effective and loving as we try to speak the same language as the other person. Now, talking of age and cross-generational communication, I was doing a hospital visit this week, but the child I had gone to see wasn't in his room. So I went back to the young receptionist. She made a phone call, and then I heard her say these words. The grandmother is here to visit. I said, no, (laughs) probably, no, not probably, giving her a glare. She said, the mother, the aunt? I said, no, the pastor. I'm sure the expression on my face was not communicating warm, loving feelings at that moment. (laughs) Like it or not, I am old enough to be a grandmother. I recall a time when I was really upset and I complained to my husband, why don't you just hold me? His reply, how can I do that when you're like a porcupine? (laughs) I highly recommend John Ortberg's book, Everybody's Normal, till you get to know them. (laughs) It's a great study on building community and learning to live in love, given that we're all weird, his words, not mine. He talks about the dance of the porcupines. It's an excellent book for a small group study. And if you want to start one this fall, gather a few folk together. Each one invites someone else. Get this book and you'll be off to a great start. As we learn to live in love, we need to work on our HQ. That would be our humility quotient. Do we always have to be first, to be right, to be the best, to be the winner. Here's a story in which everyone came out a winner quite unexpectedly. 
It's the story of Shay, a young boy who was physically and mentally challenged. I don't know if it's true, but it's a great story about learning to live in love. Shay and his father were walking past a park where some boys Shay knew were playing baseball. Shay asked, do you think they'll let me play? Shay's dad thought it was very unlikely, but he knew that if Shay was allowed to play, it would give him a much-needed sense of belonging and some confidence to be accepted by others in spite of his handicaps. So Shay's father asked one of the boys if Shay could play. The boy said, we're losing by six runs, and the game's in the eighth inning. I guess he can be on our team, and we'll try to put him into bat in the ninth. Shay struggled over the team's bench, put on a shirt with a broad smile, and the boys noticed the father's joy at his son being accepted. In the bottom of the eighth, Shay's team scored a few runs, but was still behind by three. In the top of the ninth, Shay put on a glove and played in the right field. Even though no hits came his way, he was ecstatic just to be in the game, grinning from ear to ear as his dad waved to him from the stands. In the bottom of the ninth, Shay's team scored again. Now with two outs and the bases loaded, the potential winning run was on base, and Shay was scheduled to be next at bat. Would they let Shay bat and give away the chance to win the game? Surprisingly, Shay was given the bat. Everyone knew that a hit was all but impossible. However, as Shay stepped up to the plate, the pitcher, recognizing the other team was putting winning aside for this moment in Shay's life, the pitcher moved in a few steps to lob the ball softly so Shay would at least be able to make contact. The first pitch came and Shay swung clumsily and missed. The pitcher again took a few steps forward. As the pitch came in, Shea swung at the ball and hit a slow ground ball right back to the pitcher. The game would be over. But instead, the pitcher threw the ball right over the head of the first baseman. Everyone started yelling, Shea, run to first, run to first. Never in his life had Shea ever run that far, but he made it to first base. So everyone yelled, run to second, run to second. Catching his breath, Shay awkwardly ran towards second. By the time he rounded towards second base, the right fielder had the ball. The smallest boy on his team, who had a chance to be the hero for his team for the first time ever. Again, the game could have been over, but he too threw the ball high and far over the third baseman's head. Shea ran towards third base as the runners ahead of him circled the bases toward home. By this time, everyone was chanting, Shea, Shea, all the way, Shea. The opposing shortstop ran to help him and turned him in the direction of third base and shouted, run to third. As Shea rounded third, everyone was on their feet screaming, Shea, run home. Shay staggered to home, stepped on the plate, and was cheered as the hero who hit the grand slam and won the game for his team. But both teams were winners. That day, those boys learned to live in love, and Shay had a day he'd remember forever. Have you noticed that you can't store up love? 
The only source of a continual and endless supply of love is God. We receive God's love and then we give love away to to others. It's easy to do with people we like, but how do we love those who are different from us or who disagree with us? How do we live love when we're hurt, misunderstood, wronged or betrayed? How do we love someone we resent or hate? In Luke 6, Jesus says, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Surely Jesus can't be serious. But he is, because a few verses later it says this, If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners do that. I tell you, love your enemies. You'll never regret it. Who might be an enemy that God is asking you to love in your life right now? We have to get to a place where we're willing to admit that we're not living in love and ask God to help us to want to learn how to love. Accept that other people are sinners just like us. They are frail human beings and make mistakes just like us. When you're feeling short on love, ask God for more love. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Living in love requires practicing acceptance, listening to the other person's life story, being willing to let go of your judgment and criticism, and being open to extending grace and forgiveness. Recently, I worked with a woman with whom I'd had a broken relationship several years ago. We reflected together on how much God had changed and healed both of us so that we experienced joy leading worship together at a retreat. As we stood up in front, we had to laugh when we noticed that we were wearing identical pairs of pink flip-flops. Who would have thought pink flip-flops would become a sign to us of a healed relationship? Living in love is also about serving others. Last Saturday's Jubilee Workday was a great example of this. Kathleen Poole, the principal at Ardmore, one of the four schools we served, who's a member of our church, sent this email. She wrote, let me take this chance to thank each of you from the bottom of my heart. Our school looks great. But more importantly, the staff felt completely surrounded with caring adults. They began referring to us as the Presbyterians this spring when they talked about prepping for the day. Late yesterday afternoon, the last teacher there said, You know, Kathleen, those Presbyterians are an amazing group. They not only helped us get our building ready, they spread love around all day long. Many blessings to all of you. Ardmore will be talking about yesterday for a long time to come. Rick, their custodian, wrote this. I tried to keep Ardmore in good shape, but all your kind hearts took our school to a higher level. Please pass my thanks on to all those who gave of their time, money, and love to help us at Ardmore. I say well done and praise God. As we receive and absorb God's love, we can then love ourselves in the right way and reach out in love to others through the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is what I wrote for today. Live in love is God's invitation 
Live in love is God's command. But how do we love all those around us? Why do we find it so difficult and hard? We need to start by letting God love us. Receive and accept his deep love for you. Believe he loves you always and forever. He knows all about you and forgives you too. Accepting God's love is only the first step. Now God wants you to accept yourself. He doesn't want you to protest or argue. He's asking you to love yourself. We're able to change when we know we're loved. And then we can choose to love others as well. Learning to live in love is a great adventure. It makes all the difference, like living in heaven, not hell. But how do you love people you don't like? Keep watching Jesus and see how he lived. Ask God to give you love for all people. He'll give you his love and grace as a gift. Remember that sometimes you're the difficult person. You are the one someone's struggling to love. Remember everything God's already done for you and thank him daily for his wonderful love. So let God's love soak into your heart, then let it flow out to everyone around. Learn to live in love by imitating Jesus. Extend grace and serve and God's love will abound. Loving God, we thank you for your wonderful gift of love to us. Help us to receive it afresh and anew today so that we can accept ourselves and love everyone that we meet. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.